This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Full Money, our bonus mailbag edition. If you've been listening for a couple of days, you'll know that on Friday or Saturday this week, whenever our good friends at Triple M actually hit the, hit the podcast airways, we promised you a bonus mailbag episode. We've had that much great correspondence from our listeners that we wanted to do it justice. We didn't want to leave any out. And so we're kind of doing a bit of a catch-up episode, Doc. I'm Scott Phillips. With me, as always, Dr. Anirban Mahanti. You still well? I am still very well. <laughs> Well, actually, you know, I really love the uh, the the mailbags. So I'm, I'm more You're than a huge well. mailbag. Fan. I'm a huge mailbag fan. I'm, I'm a fan of all the people who send us questions. Whenever we talk about it, you, always say, I love the mailbag. That's my favorite bit. It's just my favorite bit. So yeah, I, you know, I can send your questions even if you don't say you like it. It's still fun. I love the questions. Oh, it's not as fun. That's true, <laughs> mate. We did some mailbag on uh, our Friday normal uh, episode. We also got a, a, a mailbag question of sorts coming up this Tuesday in our Money Hacks edition. That's right, you get three Motley Fool Money episodes in this seven-day period. Um, the Money Hacks edition this week, I won't give too much away. Suffice to say, it came from Max on Twitter who asked us a question, and uh, we're happy to answer Max's question. So, Max, if you are listening now, stay tuned for a couple of days, and we will be answering your question. And whether you're already investing or just getting started, or have people who are looking to get started investing, the Money Hacks episode, I think, We'll tick a couple of boxes there. Mate, let's get on with the mailbag, though. The first question comes from Zoiks on Twitter, at Zoiks, which is kind of a fun... It feels a bit Scooby-Doo. Is it Scooby-Doo? Is it Zoiks? <laughs> I have no idea. Shaggy used to say? I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we started in form. Zoiks says, and just a bit of feedback, which we also love. He says, hey, in one of your recent Learn to Invest Money Hack shows, your doc mentioned IG as a broker. Might be worth pointing out that there is a $50 a quarter fee if you don't make at least three trades in this time frame. So probably not suitable for the starting investor. I think that's really, really great feedback. Thank you, Zoe. I didn't know that. I don't know if you did, Doc, and I don't know which one of us mentioned IG. I must have mentioned I, don't, I actually don't use it. I've, I've just heard about it. I think Kevin Gandia, who works um, um, with us on the, in the full and a couple of our services, he, he I think, mentioned uh, IG. Maybe he uses nice. it. Um, yeah, so I do not know. So just be careful here. And look, as, as with all of these decisions in investing, <laughs> let me be a little bit cynical. Everybody's out trying to find ways to take your money off you, right? So if they give you a nice little, hey, it's only going to cost you a couple of bucks a trade, um, and then they say, well, by the way, we'll charge you 50 bucks if you don't trade, that can meaningfully change the, the value proposition, right? Yeah, so the one thing I'm going to qu- quickly add here is that any broker out there, mm-hmm. you can basically pick up your phone, call their help number, mm-hmm. and say, I need a better deal. And most of these guys, if they want your business, are going to give you something. There you go. Yeah. So that's, I've I've done that a number of times, and you know they give you free trades, and they <laughs> you know remove that fifty dollar fee. Um, you know they would do and again, like I mean, their incentive is really to keep you with them because mm-hmm. over time, that's how they're going to make money off you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So by charging you stuff, which is going to result in you disappearing, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's not very hard here to true, change your true. broker, right? So I think you can give a call to your broker if you like your platform. Mm-hmm. Give a call to your broker and ask for. A deal. Good advice. But also, as I said, when you're signing up, just be careful of the fine print. Look at things like inactivity fees or monthly fees. They're going to charge you on top of just the brokerage amount. So, Zoics, thank you very much for giving that extra context. And if you are thinking about a broker, have a look at IG in that context. We've mentioned others as well. Um, I'll, I'll re-mention Comstech. I think you, Saxo is yours, mate, from memory. Um, so, so Saxo, one of the things to keep in mind with Saxo is Saxo actually charges a fee of the total assets under management. It's 0.11%. There you go. That, that can add up. That can hurt. <laughs> that can hurt, right? So, so I mean, you're trading off low. Yeah. You know, you for if you're trading on the ASX, you pay six dollars and ninety five cents. One of the lowest actually that's available. 
It's cheap until it's, you consider the. Then on the other side, you have to consider that. So again, yeah, yeah. The, 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 there are trade offs. Be uh, careful. Everywhere, yeah. Sometimes things are too good to be true. Let's move on to a question from Shawnee Burke on Twitter. I don't know if that's Sean I. Burke or Shawnee. Uh, in any case, maybe just Sean. He says, Afternoon, gentlemen. I've only just come across your podcast a month or so ago, but as I have enjoyed it so much, I am now up to date. Sean, dude. Get a life. There's got to be more important things to do. Catch up with all of our. What's it been? There's almost 100 and something. How many podcasts are we up to? A lot. We can't be far off 200, you know. Probably more. <laughs> sure. Seriously, dude. Have a good hard look at yourself. No, thank you for listening. We we appreciate it. And if we are uh, giving you something worth listening to, then then we are humbled. So thank you. He says that the segs are particularly enjoyable, along with the banter. That must be my brother Sean, is it, or your brother Sean? My brother. Got to be family. Yeah. I was hoping to I was hoping to get you to discuss why AIA and SYD have such different PEs. Now, Sean, bring it in tight, dude. You've obviously not been listening quite long enough to know that I have a pathological dislike for stock codes. Now, it's not a big deal. Although, well, it's a little bit of a big deal, isn't it? I give the guys a hard time at work. You give us really a hard time. But when AIA <laughs> is what? Australian Insurance? Uh, uh, this is Auckland Airport. Auckland Airport. Auckland Airport. And this is kind of why, right? So if we start thinking See, about ticket no codes. Idea. I know. <laughs> if you start thinking about ticket codes, we start to think about stocks, you know, tickers, you know, charts on a screen or moving share prices. It just kind of breaks that mental link between a company or, or the shares and the company itself. Now, we all know it's a company, right? So you kind of go, okay, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. The thing is, we know that from from behavioral psychology, that the the more we kind of distance ourselves from these two things, the less we remember to think about the businesses themselves. So is it a big deal? No. Is it the same thing? Yes. Subconsciously, we've got to be so careful of these behavioral biases and traps that we can fall into. And my way of overcoming them is requiring all of our team, much to their dislike, and they're probably nodding their heads in furious agreement right now as they're listening to this, assuming they do, of course, uh, that uh, that we don't use stock codes. We only ever use company names. So I will I will give you that, um, that the pass mark this time, Sean, but if you message us next time, don't forget. Uh, so, mate, Auckland Airport and Sydney Airport are the two questions. Now, they're both airports. They're both reasonably exposed to domestic and local tourism. Uh, sorry, international tourism. But they have such different PEs, even though they are in the same sector. My initial thoughts were market sentiment for Sydney airports. Also, the numbers look better for Auckland Airport. I look forward to hearing your response and agreeing to potentially disagree on this one. Thanks, Sean. I'm not sure if Sean thinks he's going to disagree with us or we're going to disagree with each other. So we might have to might have to bring it back. Sean, I'm going to give you some some a boring answer to start with, and then we'll get on to the businesses themselves. Part of the reason with these guys is that the structures for infrastructure, particularly in Australia are really, really, really messy. Now, if you think about the earnings of these businesses, there is so much debt loaded and loaded and loaded and loaded on top of these, um, I'm thinking about Transurban, Sydney Airport, any of these infrastructure companies. The the government basically allows them, largely because they are either private-public partnership kind of partners or because they're bought public assets like Sydney Airport, uh, they've basically structured them so they can take on an absolute truckload of debt, knowing that, of course, there's always going to be people using Transurban's roads or Sydney Airport's airport, funnily enough, um, that they can afford to take on literally mountains of debt, like just just phenomenally large, overbearing, almost crushing, but almost crushing amounts of debt. What that does is it makes the PE look absolutely tiny. There's also a whole lot of accounting tricks that go on in the background to really mess with the way it looks. So for both Sydney Airport and Auckland, and frankly, well, Airport, Auckland's a New Zealand uh, infrastructure company, of course, um, with any of these infrastructure businesses, always look at the cash flow, not at the earnings. And so for, to some degree... I won't say it's misleading because it's not. It's exactly, I mean, 
they are complying with the accounting rules as written. Um, the numbers are real. The earnings are real, at least in, in terms of the way they're presented. That is not very helpful for investors making investment decisions. And so I really would encourage you, and this is really important, right? This is, I guess I will say partly why, as much as I was kidding before, why it's really important to look at the businesses themselves, not just the stock codes, is comparing PEs in this case actually is really, really potentially very misleading unless you understand what's going on behind the scenes and the way these businesses are structured. So that's a kind of a boring accounting answer, but it's really important. It's why if you think about these businesses, how are they making money, what sort of debt have they got in the balance sheet, how are they paying that debt off, what does that do to the accounts, that's why it's really, really important. So I would not at all, frankly, for these infrastructure companies, look at PEs. I simply would ignore them. They are less than useless. In fact, they're, again, I'm not saying, misleading makes it sound like it's intentional, so I don't want to, I don't want to convey that, but they are completely, completely, completely useless when it comes to trying to assess the value of these businesses. Doc, your thoughts? You know, I have nothing to add on that one. Like, really <laughs> nothing. They're airports, they're boring, they pay dividend. What's boring about dividends coming into the bank and account every six months? I'll take it. Come on. Yeah. Look, I mean, well, why, why do you hate cash? I, I didn't say I hate cash. I just, <laughs> it's just not exciting for who me. Need, so, who, wants, who wants money? I don't want money. Oh, so I, I, I reserve, <laughs> reserve my right to not know much about airports <laughs> and, and say, uh, thank you, but no thanks. Fair to say airports don't really kind of... Uh, Tick your normal investing box, do they? Uh, even abnormal investment <laughs> box. <laughs> you know? Like even... Yeah, I, I wouldn't dare yeah. call you abnormal, mate. Um, look, so yeah, that, that, is, that is part of the reason, Sean. Um, interesting, if you look at the yields, currently Sydney Airport at 4.8, Auckland Airport at 2.5, interesting enough. So while Auckland seems cheaper, in air quotes, on a PE basis, it's actually also much less attractive from an income flow basis. Even with dividends, you'd be a little bit careful there as well because, um, again, the cash the cash flows are different. So you've got to value these com- infrastructure companies as a rule. This for anyone listening who's looking at infrastructure businesses, pipelines, airports, toll roads, what am I missing, mate? Bridges, <laughs> anything, that's, anything that's infrastructure, always, always, always look at the cash flow statement and make sure you understand where the money's coming from. You could look at data centers too. Data centers, exactly. Same kind of idea. Mm. Man, they're not tech companies either. Speaking of our they're not tech. Friday podcast. Yeah. We'll, we'll rant about that another day. <laughs> Stand by. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. My question from Brett, I love this question because it goes to some of the questions that beginner investors have and also... We can be a little bit guilty sometimes of presuming that we know the answers and not necessarily explaining ourselves as well as we could. So Brett says, hi, guys. I have a question for your magnificent podcast. Magnificent. What's that? <laughs> Extra points for that one. Basic assumption is that current cl- in, in the current climate, my money is better off in investments rather than paying down my mortgage. But wouldn't this only be the case if my investments are at the same value as my mortgage? What is my brain missing? Looking forward to your answer. Do you want first go at that or will I take this one? Well, uh, I can have a rough go. go I'm, I'm sure you'll have a better answer. You'll, I doubt it very much. Yeah. Um, so, so first of all, like I mean, the the like you've got, let's say you've got a mortgage. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got a five hundred dollar, uh, five hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Yes. And um, you know you you've got an offset account where you're or you're paying down into your mortgage, mm-hmm. uh, but you you decide to pay ahead, mm-hmm. and on that. If you pay ahead, basically, let's say you've got a three point five percent is is your interest, then yep. you know that's what you're really saving, right? You're yep. really saving. You're basically getting a return on that in some sense of three point five percent. Yeah. Right. In, instead, if you could, your wealth in, is imp- your wealth is improving by, by that amount. By that amount. Yep. If you could invest in something that gives you ten percent, mm-hmm. 
then you are significantly better off. Yes. Um, now, of course, you have to consider the fact that on when you're paying down your mortgage, you're not paying tax on that. So, the, you know, there's no tax implication. There's tax implication in if depending upon how you're investing. Right. Uh, for um, so you're ten percent, but you pay capital gains tax of let's say yeah. let's say the top marginal tax rate to make life easy twenty four percent because you can half that. So if you're ten bucks, you get to keep seven dollars sixty. Yeah, you're still ahead, right? right. Now three dollars fifty. Otherwise, you might have saved. Right, and and then the advantage is that the three percent compound, three percent compounding, you know, it will take what like twenty five years for your money to double, <laughs> something like that. Yep. Whereas at at seven percent, it'll, it'll actually double in ten years. So right. the, so over a long. Like a mortgage is over a long period of time, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if if you if you put the primary goal as paying down your mortgage, and which you might or you might decide to pay substantial because that's a comfort thing, mm-hmm. um, what makes you sleep better at night and so on and so forth, right? But if you if you prioritize that, then you'll actually never invest yep. and and you'll never get the benefits of compounding. So yep. that that's I think where. Um, the value, I guess, is the value is from the long-term compounding that you're going to get by investing in assets that return more than what a bank interest rate. Right. Now, if you're paying 6% on your mortgage and you're getting 7.5% after tax in your investments, you still might think, well, that's kind of close enough to be, you know, in the world of these things that are always fuzzy, that might still, you might still go, oh, I'll pay the mortgage off because it's close enough that's not that different. Yeah. And I might as well get the peace of mind, as you say. I think what Brett's asking, actually, Doc, is I think he's comparing the $1,000 he's got to invest now with his half a million dollar mortgage. And so, hang on, if I get 10% of my $1,000, but I'm paying 3.5% of my $500,000 mortgage, aren't I still better off to do the, the mortgage because it's a larger amount? I think that's a really good question. But I think, Brett, if that is the, the, the reason for your question or the, the basis of your question, it, it is tempting to look at the two amounts separately. But I think that's sort of a bit misguided. You're kind of misleading yourself a little bit here because you're not looking at the whole value of either of the two. Your question really is, say you've got 1000 bucks in the back pocket now, you just got a bonus or you've sold your car or you've knocked over a little old lady. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, and you've got 1000 bucks, right? The only question for you is not not the total value of your investments or the total value of your mortgage. The only question is with that $1,000, what is the best return for that money? Now, if you pay $1,000 off your mortgage at 3.5%, you'll save 35 bucks a year. Okay, that's just what's going to happen because you're not paying interest on that money that's that's going into the first year. You'll pay thirty five grand, thirty five dollars less in interest than you would have had you not put the thousand dollars on your mortgage. So that's the first thing. If you did get ten percent, and we should say by the way, the stock market is super volatile, right? So you might lose ten percent in the first year and you'll feel worse off. But on average and over the long term, if you invested a thousand dollars in the stocks and you got a ten percent return, you'd make a hundred bucks with that thousand dollars. So the question for you is, where do I put the thousand bucks? Now, if you're like me, if you're like Doc, you're going to say, well, hang on, if I can invest that at ten percent. I'd rather make 100 bucks in profit than save 35 bucks in interest because I'm 65 bucks better off. Even if you take tax out of it at the top rate, I'm making 75 bucks in profit or I'm saving $35 in interest. Again, still much, much better off to make that extra money because your net worth, your, your net wealth is increasing by more by making money rather than paying money off the interest on the mortgage. So if that was the basis of your question, I think it might have been. That's why I'd be looking at that particular question. So you, you always want to say, with the extra dollar or $10 or $100 or $1,000 I've got, where is the best after-tax return and what should I do with that money? And for us, other than the peace of mind element of paying down the mortgage, which is super, super valuable for a whole lot of people, if you're talking purely rationally, we'd say you're going to get a much better return if you invest that money. How to do? I think you did very well. Thank you, man. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, Doc, the next question comes from Jackson. Jackson and I had a bit of to and fro on Facebook. 
Uh, again, at the Motley Fool AU on Facebook, or I'm at Scott Phillips Money. You're not on Facebook, so I won't. Uh, I'm not being well, rude by ignoring you. I'm just not. Uh, no, no. I used to be. Uh, I still have a profile which I've not deleted, but you know, I just don't use Facebook. But in a, in a professional capacity, you have a, you have a, a profile as do I, but we also have a, a public Facebook oh, yeah, page. I, so. I, yeah, I don't do Facebook. <laughs> Jackson says, "Hey guys, I was wondering if you have any securities trading advice or guides for millennial investors focusing on long-term investing." Thanks heaps, Jackson. Now I went back to Jackson and said, "Look, you know, I don't have, I don't have much, and, and wonder why you're asking. What would you like?" And so he replied, and this is worth just throwing the reply in. He says, "Thanks so much for your reply. I'm a pretty avid reader of Motley Fool's content in general. The reason I asked the question is, although it's great your content is applicable to a broad audience base, I was wondering if there were any specific guides or general articles that help understand the right mindset to have as a millennial investor, given the advantage of having a longer lead time for our investments to compound." As such, I was curious as to if you had any resources that explain what would be the most beneficial to millennial investors in terms of thought processes, like whether to invest actively or passively, what proportion of a total portfolio would be ideal to divert to active and passive, and what the ideal asset allocation is for 20-somethings like myself. Uh, I guess the crux of what I'm trying to ask is if you have general investment advice for investors at different life stages and risk profiles. To be honest, I'm not completely sure how or if I should structure my investments portfolios similar to someone aged in their 50s or 60s. This isn't something that schools or universities give much attention to, so I've learned the bulk of my knowledge from talking with those who advise on and research these topics day in, day out. All the best, Jackson. Jackson, like we mentioned about our previous bloke, was it Zoix? Was he the no, who was the, who was the twenty-three-year-old? Um, uh, Ireland. Very good. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll uh, Jeremy. Jeremy, last, it was Jeremy. Yes, Jeremy. Uh, we we will. So look, Jackson. Fantastic questions, mate. Again. Like with Jackson, uh, like with um, Jeremy, you are just super on it, mate. You, you, frankly, you don't need to do much right. You could actually, you could actually, you could actually do badly as an investor, relatively speaking, from here, and still make a squillion. So, keeping the easy answer, and it's kind of the reason I struggled with Jackson's question, Doc, when I was kind of going backwards and forwards, is the reality is the investment advice we give is pretty much applicable to anybody at any life stage because it does, doesn't change that much, right? <laughs> what, good, it's because not so much about the investor, it's about the investing. It's about what you, what you do, what you invest in, how you think about maximizing the returns from your cash. And that kind of, our advice doesn't change. If you're, if you're eight or 80 and you're saying to me, what's the best long-term investing strategy? It's kind of exactly the same. There is no difference. And so I did struggle with, with to answer the question because it, it feels almost like I'm copping out or, you know, it's easy with investing. There's so many people out there who want to make this complex. Mm. So many people who'll take your money by giving you specific advice or tailored solutions, as they like to call it. And that feels somehow smarter. When someone like me or someone like you says, oh, it's all the same for everybody, you go, that can't be true. You guys are obviously just not paying enough attention. Give me something specific. Tell me, tell me exactly what I should do, right? And so we can make a lot more money if we pretended we had specific uh, advice for particular people in particular circumstances. Uh- now, that said... There are some answers to some of these questions. Do you have a general thought, or will we get into Jackson's questions? Well, I, I was going to give, like, I was going to give some. Uh, Excellent. I was going to pretend that uh, <laughs> there's something specific. I've, that I I've could, completely uh, destroyed your argument. Now you're going to have to try and make it anyway. All right. Good luck. So, so, number one, I think the biggest advantage is if if somebody's twenty something, they have this huge long road oh. road ahead. Right. Phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal. So I think that that's where I think building a lot of knowledge and. Uh, you know, figuring out your investment style, what works for mm-hmm. you, you know, your investment temperament. Mate, if I could take my current environment and everything I know now, yeah. I think I would give away almost all of my money to get to starting it at 20. Yeah. <laughs> like quite literally because I know yeah. that I would do a better job of saving better, investing better, yeah, being able to put the old, old head on young shoulders. Like I don't – I think I would literally give up almost literally everything I physically own 
if I can start again. Yeah, it, you're starting a, a, again like at 20 and, oh, and, and thinking that you can invest for the next 40 years. So that's a huge, huge, oh, huge advantage. I'm so that's number one. Super jealous. So super jealous of that. Uh, um, uh, at the same time, I'll say that, you know, like uh, he asked questions about active and passive. Yep. And, you know, that was the first um, question. You know, like it's so a passive investing via ETFs. Like, I mean, they have a role, but if you have that kind of time in front of you and you are a, you know, dedicated and interested investor, mm. I would almost always invest in individual securities mm -hmm. and uh, because you have the opportunity of finding these huge huge compounding benefit oh. you know compounding machines huge. right that's that's <laughs> one the the only thing i would suggest is if somebody is in that in that 20 something and this is, this is something that we say to people mm -hmm. at any stage um think about um learning about behavioral biases oh, that yeah. affect investing returns, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the single biggest detractor to returns is, you know, basically simple, stupid mistakes that we always make because we are wired that way, right? Now I'll make a book recommendation for mm -hmm. that. There's a, there's a great book, uh, which is easy. Uh, this is good. I'll, I'll change from great to good. <laughs> it's a good book, <laughs> um, uh, but it's very easy to understand. I think it, it's targeted towards you know investors who want to sort of in, in, in improve their behavioral mm. uh, side, their temperament. It's called the um, the little book of the little book of behavioral investing. Such a good book uh, by James Montier. It's a it's a good book. It's that a cracker. It's a cracker. It's easy to read that if you can sort of, you know, internalize, actually you'll do really well. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I think, I, I think, yeah. And, and, and as such, the little book series has got a lot of other good books that you could read. But I would say that read a lot, mm -hmm. um, you know, read, uh, read, read uh, from the greats, read some of these good books, uh, follow through and, you know, just basically build on your temperament and that would really serve you well. Mm. I completely agree. I'm going to take a slightly different view to you actually, Doctor, in this one. I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that passive is a really great place for maybe many people to start. So again, I think to Doc's point, as each investor, you need to think about who am I as an investor? What do I want out of my investing career, right? Now, if you're super switched on, you love the idea of investing, you love the idea of businesses, it just, it just does it for you, right? Which is Doc and I and, and other people in our business. If that's your thing, then go and get stuck into individual companies, learn about investing, learn about valuation, learn about the sorts of returns that other investors get and how they've got them, learn about some of the, I won't say tricks because it makes it sound too opaque, but some of the strategies that, that investors, successful investors have used to do really, really well. That's a really great place. That's where I started. I've been investing in individual stocks for as long as I can remember. I think I own one ETF. Um, so I've, I've been an active guy pretty much my whole investing life. Um, and if that's you, then great. Keep doing that, as Doc said. The only, thing I would, the only thing I would say is if you're not sure or you don't want to or you're building confidence or something else, you may want to start with a bit of both, a bit of passive and a bit of active. The reality is simply if you just passively invest, you keep your fees low, you'll do fantastically well. And that's all you'll actually need to do. If you get nothing from this other than I'm going to invest a 1000 bucks a month or a 1000 bucks a quarter or whatever you can afford and put that aside for as long as you possibly can, you'll have, end up with a squillion bucks even if you just invest in ETFs. If you want to try and beat the market, even improve that return meaningfully, and that's what Doc and I try and do day in, day out with our professional jobs and with our personal portfolios, then yes, absolutely go active. There is no, there is no kind of age-based answer to that, though. If someone was 65 and saying, look, I've got to put some money aside. I don't really care about this investing caper. I just know I should do it. Help me do it simply. We'd say, be passive. If someone said, I'm 65 and I love investing and I want some stock recommendations and I want to buy individual companies, 
And we say, great, be active. Um, so that's 65, that's 45, that's 25, that's 12, that's 85. Um, there really is no age-based solution for that. And again, I know, Jackson, it feels like I'm copying out by saying there is no difference, but I just don't think there is. I think you can pretty much – the act of saving and investing itself is the only thing that matters. Um, but just be careful with your investing. Uh, try and keep doing it regularly. Try and avoid some of the pitfalls, as Doc said. Just read as much as you can. The Essays of Warren Buffett is wonderful. One Up on Wall Street is wonderful. The Little Book of Behavioral Investing is fantastic. I've listened to that on audiobook and I've read it in physical form. It is great. So many great examples of the things that can really mess with your head and stop you investing well. Um, just try and overcome those. Keep putting money away. Keep investing no matter what the market's doing, no matter what the punters are saying about the market's toppy or cheap or expensive or any of that sort of stuff. Just invest regularly. You will absolutely be glad you did. Anything else with that, mate? No, mate. That's awesome. Beautiful. All right. We're going to go to a question from Russell. Russell says, can you recommend something for me? The market is very high at the moment. Well, an ETF like VGB, what's Doc Co's Doc? Killing me here. What is VGB? Let's find out. (laughs) Will an ETF like VGB be a good place to park money right now? Now, mate, VGB is a Vanguard bond fund, Australian government bond index specifically. So rather than buying government bonds from the government directly or through a, a financial intermediary, you get to buy an ETF, a fund, made up of Australian government bonds. <coughs> now, in this case, we, you know, basically, Russell's saying, look, I don't really feel like investing in the market, but I want to put money somewhere. Should I invest in bonds? What do you say? I am not a bond market investor. <laughs> I, and, you are and, the antithesis of a bond market and, investor. And, I, and, and definitely not a bond market <laughs> investor where the bonds, the returns on the yields on bonds are dropping like, I don't know what they are, but they're dropping like they're very heavy rocks yeah. in this really thin environment. So, uh, I mean, some of the bonds might actually have negative yields. <laughs> so yeah, Actually, some, well, some international bond. There's a great episode on um, another podcast. We don't think you should listen to too many other podcasts because ours is the best. Yeah. Don't waste your time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Planet Money. Um, I think it was Planet Money or The Indicator. They, the Planet Money team do both. Uh, they did a great episode on, on bonds uh, only in the last week or so, I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, the Vanguard bond fund in the US, the, the sort of the global bond fund, actually owns a heap of bonds. And I want to say billions worth, maybe trillions, but certainly billions worth of bonds that are um, that are negative yielding out of out of Germany, out of Switzerland, uh, both company bonds and government bonds. So it's a, it's, a t- it's a tough old place to be. Mate... So what are you saying? We shouldn't be investing in, in bond funds? I would not be doing it. <laughs> That's my, uh, I have no bonds. I have no intent of bonding with any bonds. Um, <laughs> not even James Bonds? N- uh, James Bond is different. That's a different type of bond. Um, yeah, I, I could go watch a James Bond movie, but yeah, I just don't see any reason to, yep. um, it, like it actually, you know, I find it baffling that yep. people are, you know, willing to pay other people, hey, I'm going to give you my money. And you know what? <laughs> I'm going to give you some money to actually keep my money. Yeah. Uh, and I'll get it back from you later. I'll take less from you, but that's okay. I'll give you a hundred bucks now in five years time. Can you please give me back $95.50? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, it's it's baffling. <laughs> it's the, bizarre. You know, it's it's really bizarre. Now, so, to, in Russell's defense though, if he's right, if the, let's say the stock market was to drop 20%, you actually be better investing in bonds because you might lose maybe a percent. Maybe you, you won't actually. Australian gun bonds are positive. So you make something in five years' time, maybe you get $101.50 back or something. Surely that's better than losing 20% on the market if, if the stock market's overvalued. Well, if you want to do that, why wouldn't you just put it in a return deposit? Well, because bonds are better than cash and you're getting a better return. And well, Are you really? Like, I mean, I, I mean, no, I can, you, I don't know. You go to Me Bank and I'm just 
All right, so are you, are, you saying, are you saying Russell should be investing in term deposits instead? Well, if, yeah, like if you want really that type of returns, then why wouldn't you, like, I mean, effectively, again, I, so without knowing how much money it is and so on. So if you're trying yep. to invest a lot of money. And we can't like, give personal advice in right. that way. So if somebody was investing a million bucks and they needed to buy a term, though that term deposit would not be guaranteed by the government because the government, there's a ceiling, right? So right. the government cuts over, what, 200,000? 250. 250, I think. 250, right. So if you have a million bucks and you want to put first it in. First class a, problem, by the yeah, way. If you've got a million bucks, a <laughs> first class problem, and you, 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 and you don't actually want it in the bank because yeah. the bank only guarantees 250 right. you give it to the government and say okay i buy your bond and mm-hmm. and and that's that's higher guarantee <laughs> uh nothing is again guaranteed in this yeah. world right but that's okay that's pretty much as close as it gets to guarantee so yeah if that's the problem <laughs> then sure but if if it is a problem that i want to put some small amount of money that uh or relatively small amount of money that's going to be guaranteed mm. um then i would just take a term deposit and get a higher higher yeah. return yeah that's what i would do but yeah if it's, you've got the first class problems of several million bucks then uh yeah all right term deposits or stocks stocks why well, you know, I like to bet on human ingenuity and like the, the fact that uh, as as human beings, we are always looking to excel and do something, at least collectively. Okay, but if uh, the market's I'm not, I'm overvalued, not, surely there's better times to invest. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it does, you know, the market gets overvalued every now and then. Um, but, you know, like you take any great company stock mm-hmm. and, you know, I'll use my favorite company oh, here, no. Apple. Uh, we went a whole ha- podcast and we actually went two podcasts. We recorded a couple today. Yeah. You and we didn't say, and we, because that's because we did this on uh, Twitter. We did. A lot of, uh, <laughs> we did. Uh, so we, did so we had the Apple feed. But <laughs> like, you know, at various points in time, you could have said, oh, yep. this looks expensive. It looks, you know, more expensive. I should sell out and things yep. like that. But, you know, in various points of time, you, you could buy the stock and still done really really well yep. right the thing is that you know um, the innovative companies find innovative ways to keep growing keep doing things that you know so i mean you, you're basically betting on excellence and yep. if you're betting on excellence then the place to bet on excellence and i'm using apple as an example sure, but sure. you could use anything yeah, yeah, yeah. that is excellent and yep. you could you know some, something like macquarie group for example is another example of a bank that is it's a bank but it's a very different type of bank mm-hmm. um and, and then it's a very innovative company they have got a culture of innovation and you could bet on it and i looked at looked at it recently and since ipo i believe it has returned seven thousand percent that's a lot <laughs> total shareholder return that's a lot right and uh, you know i'm sure that, you know there are there are portions and periods of time like you know for example during the gfc when the stock was cut really really badly yep. but you know like i think that you can't get that 7000 mm. type of return by not being right in the share market, right? I mean, you know, uh, the only other place you can probably get that return is by being a private investor in a VC company, you know, basically being a VC investor and willing to take that risk. And you can still be wrong, right? And you can still be wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but really, that's that's the place. I mean, that's the betting on people doing well, betting on people, the society, yeah. you know, improving over time, yeah. betting on the economic growth and economic development as a whole of the world continuing. That's what the stock market basically gives you. Um, an opportunity to participate. Now, I'm, I'm going to challenge that from Russell's perspective, but then actually agree with you in the end. So Russell might say, yeah, that's all fine, and I'll do that, but I'll do it when the shares are a bit cheaper because I don't want to pay high prices now. Mm. I, I love the way Apple, but I'll buy it when it's cheaper. And I think what I would say, Russell, is is it's always obvious in hindsight where the t- market tops are. And if we go back in a time machine, I promise you I can make a fortune. Um, the problem is we can't know that. And there's a litany of articles written by every well-meaning and sometimes not so well-meaning 
uh, bears or investment banks or stockbrokers. There's a famous one from the bank RBS in 2016. Royal Bank of Scotland, January 2016, sell everything. Right. (laughs) Sell everything. Which in hindsight would have been remarkably expensive. Now, they, I'm sure, with every good intention, with a whole lot of smart people, with computer models and all that sort of stuff, looked at the market and went, too high. Sell everything. Tell everybody. Now, if the market had dropped the next day, they would have been geniuses. And frankly, the bloke who said that, or the girl who said that, would have been, we wouldn't have bought themselves a beer or dinner for the next five years, right? There's plenty of people who predicted in air quotes the 07 crash, 08 crash, who are, who've still never bought themselves a beer because they get to say, oh, I was the guy who predicted this and predicted that. It's so easy to look at a market and say, oh, I think it's expensive. Now, sometimes you're right. And Russell, you may well be right. That's a very, very high chance, though, that of all the people who make these predictions, a very small, tiny proportion are right. And even those who are right are probably more lucky than right because most of the perma bears have been saying the market's too high now for the last 10 years. There were people who predicted a double-dip recession in 2009, right? So you fast forward through there, people were getting out of Chinese stocks in 2011 because it was supposed to be a China hard landing coming. In 2016, RBS said sell everything. There's always reason to look at a market and say, I think it's expensive. Now, sometimes it will be. Our view, generally speaking, is dollar cost averaging. And we'll talk about that in a second, by the way. Um, But broadly speaking, is the market expensive now? I don't know. You don't know. Again, it's one of those things we talked about, you know, we seem like we're somehow negligent by not having a view from millennial versus a 30-year-old versus a 50-year-old versus a 20-year-old versus a 70-year-old. Surely we're supposed to know these things, right? There must be something complex and difficult because that's what the financial industry has told you. The financial industry will also tell you exactly where they think the market's going to be by December 31. Where's the market going to be by the end of the year? Where's the market going to be by Christmas? Nobody knows. That is the secret of investing, right? The secret of the financial world that no one wants you to know is no one has any bloody idea. Nor do we. The difference is we get to say it because our organization lets us rather than pretending we know all these sophisticated, wonderful things so you'll pay us a fortune. So honest answer, mate, I don't know where the market is. Does it seem expensive? On some metrics, yeah. Some stocks, yeah, absolutely. Am I going to still invest regularly in, in the best ideas I can find month in, month out or invest in an ETF month in, month out? Yes, absolutely. Because if I'm wrong and the market's too low or too high, I keep investing. When I'm finally, air quotes, right, maybe the market falls from there. But if I invested all the way through, if I'd invested from 2007 to today, instead of you know listening every time someone said it was too expensive, I'm so much better off. And if this ended up being the top, well, so be it. I'd much rather stay in stocks though because there's every good chance that I, I A, I'm wrong. And be over the long term, as Doc said, buying great quality companies, holding it for the long term, is still the smartest way we know to make money. Nothing to add. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I've got a question from Pete on Twitter. Pete says, hey, Anirban Mahanti and Scott P. Well, actually, I'll give us the four ones. Hey, at Anirban Mahanti. And hey, at TMF Scott P. That's our Twitter handles. Hit us up on Twitter. I've been listening to the Motley Fool AU podcast all year and have enjoyed the ride so far. Thanks, Pete. One thing I haven't heard much about is employees making extra contributions to their super as a method to buy indices by dollar cost averaging. Are they similar? I love this question because it is such a smart thoughtful way of thinking about dollar cost averaging. In fact, bringing a real world example of dollar cost averaging straight to the market and really getting a sense of that's kind of exactly what's going on. So I won't give too much of the answer. I might give us your thoughts on Pete's question about extra contributions and dollar cost averaging. Right. This is a great question. So if you have an industry super fund mm-hmm. and then, you know, depending on what sort of fund you've got, they might be investing, they might have a tailored portfolio, they might have a portfolio made out of 
uh, ETFs, but mm-hmm. essentially... Or a retail fund. Or a re- they both work the same. Yeah. Every time mm-hmm. um, you put your money, your money basically gets invested. Yep. The, the more units of whatever that... I love uh, you this know, idea. They get, get purchased. Mm-hmm. And every month, a little bit more, a yep. little bit more, a little yep. bit more. And that compounds because you can't really take the money out mm-hmm. until, like, you know, you retire. So this is... this is Yeah, this is, this is basically dollar cost averaging, working every day. Isn't that cool? I've never, ever thought about this exact analogy... But literally, to Doc's point, if you if you invest in a, if you go to your super fund and say what option do you want, they'll put you in balance to start with, and you can be balanced or you can be growth or conservative, whatever option you choose. Every single dollar you add to super, your employer pays it in. And this is not just, by the way, extra contributions, Pete. This is any contributions you make, your employer makes in your super. Assuming it's a retail industry fund, self-managing, you can do your own thing, so it doesn't necessarily apply the same way. But that's the great thing about about these super funds, right? They will say, well, your balanced fund says. 60% shares, 40% property. Oh, there's more complex. Let's assume that's all it is. Then every dollar you put in, 60 cents will go into shares, 40 cents goes into property. Every single month or quarter, whenever your employer puts the money in, effectively the super fund is dollar cost averaging for you. And that's how we will all build, hopefully if we've got long enough left working and our employers are doing the right thing and contributing, that's how we're going to build retirement nest eggs, literally as in dollar cost averaging. Now, as you say, Pete, adding contributions is an even better way to do it because if you put some extra money and a couple extra percent of your salary, then that'll do, that'll happen exactly the same way. So yes, I would do that as well. Um, but yeah, the, the very concept is a really smart way of doing it. If you think about dollar cost averaging, that's what the world, the, the nation's super funds are doing on our behalf. Any more, mate? No. That's good. <laughs> awesome. i got a follow-up. Yeah. So we had a, that was a great question asked by Pete. Nick Berger on Twitter, mm-hmm. who is at the real burger 17 What if it's a real burger or just like the real burger? Or Burger. Burger? Oh, what do you think? Maybe he's a Burger, not a Burger. I'm going with Burger. I reckon Burger would be with an E-B. Uh, Nick Burger, okay. B-U-I-G. Uh. Anyway, Nick, feel free, feel free to hit us up and correct us if I've screwed it up. If Doc's right. Actually, if Doc's right, don't tell me because he's right about too much other stuff. I don't really need to hear it. Um, Nick actually adds to it. So this is this is also a fascinating question. This gets in a little bit of kind of policy. And you know I like to wonk out on policy sometimes, Doc. Nick says, further to that, which is Pete's question, do either of you see a day when members can opt into having a pre-retirement investment account you can contribute to regularly and leverage the big industry funds diversification expertise, not bound by super legislation? Seems crazy that this doesn't happen. So not only did, did Pete's question blow me away, but Nick's answer blew me away too because I'd never thought of this either. Imagine if you could basically say, I'm going to give some money to a to a fund who there's no restrictions, there's no tax advantage, no restrictions, but as an investor... I can simply say, well, look, I love the job that Australian Super is doing for my super. I want to invest some money in a separate account, which is not a superannuation account at all. It's just an investment fund run the same way by the same people with the same opportunities and, frankly, the same low fees. I think that's a really, really smart idea. I'm actually kind of – I mean, I, I never thought of it, right? But now all of a sudden I've, I know about it. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't they be doing it? Yeah, particularly the industry funds who have, in theory, a kind of a, a broader purpose. They're not just about making money for shareholders but about helping their, their, their members make money. I kind of makes. Why isn't Australian Super offering something like this? That's an interesting question. I don't know why they don't offer. I mean, maybe is that a great question. It's a great question. Maybe, maybe people. Maybe, I'm just speculating here. Maybe people figure that you know there are enough um, of these like you know low cost uh, ETFs that mm. kind of cover that space. Like yeah, if, that's if, you, true. if if you go to like a Vanguard and you you know you just spend a few minutes on their retail pages, yeah. they'll tell you, okay, here's a conservative portfolio. But you kind of got to build it yourself and invest in it yourself. And you, it's you need like, to do you need to do the chores of buying. If and, I could just send my money five hundred bucks a month to Australian Super and they could put it in an investment account for me, yeah, 
And uh, you were the premixed version of a balanced or conservative or growth or moderate, whatever it is. That makes a lot of sense. Doesn't and it? I, yeah, it actually improves. Um, it, it would make our job less useful. <laughs> Just saying, huh? Well, we, we think you can actually do better than that by picking individual stocks, which is what we're here for. Uh, but quite honestly, mate, I, I mean, you're right. But honestly, if, if we lose a couple of members to, to Australian Super and they end up better off as a result, I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that one. Okay, fine. Are, are, they, are they going to pay us a commission? <laughs> no, no, no. We're just doing it for, for the right reasons, mate. The more people that take control of their financial... That's all. Mate, just quiet this podcast for as well. Mm. We're, not, we're not going to be paying you less for the podcast. Oh, I thought we paid a lot. I thought we paid twice. You waited for the paycheck, were you? Yeah, twice. Zero. Oh, yeah, two exactly. zeros. That's right. I'll, I'll increase to three, mate. Okay, fine. For this particular podcast, I'll pay you triple rates for the, okay. the podcast. Sounds there. great. <laughs> One more question. This has been a fun mailbag episode. You enjoying yourself? I do. How fun is this? So I will give a quick plug for the socials. If you want to hit us up, please do at the Motley Fool AU on Twitter at TMF Scott P. That's me, or at Nearban Mahanti. That's Doc on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook, the Motley Fool Australia, or Scott Phillips Money, all one word, or on Instagram at the Motley Fool AU or at TMF Scott P. And if you're not on the socials, what's wrong with you? Get with them. Get with the Instagram generation, the selfie kids, the kind of you know. It's all about it's all about the selfies, all about the food photos. All no, it's not. Anyway. You can email us at info at fool.com.au. Don't send me photos of your food. I really don't care. Um, I'm only on Instagram because other people are just quietly. I have, I have very little use for it. Mate, the last question we had comes from Jonathan. Now, Jonathan references the fact that I may possibly have ranted at one point about ethical investing. I, 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 I can't be sure. I may well have jumped on the high horse and complained about the greenwashing of I people am who- sh- I am sure you've I done know, Well, maybe. Who, who, you have done that. If you weren't listening, I, I made the point that- so-called ethical investing funds that do nothing other than basically just pick stocks and don't add any money to any ethical cause at all but make people feel better are at best a waste of time and at worst some decent greenwashing. That's reasonably stern words, but I don't. I stand by them all and I'm backed by the CIO of Host Plus Con, oh, Sam Cecilia. Uh, So anyway, that was my rant. So Jonathan says, well, what about an ethical investing idea or model like the Future Generation Fund? The fund managers work pro bono and their fee is donated to charities instead, with the option to donate a percentage of it to of your dividend, sorry, to the charity as well. Now that's kind of I, I kind of like this idea. If you if you want to invest ethically or you want to have an ethical impact, instead of paying a fund manager their fee because they've probably got enough money already, you can simply divert that and it becomes an effective ongoing donation to a charity of their or your choice. That is genuinely doing some good with your investing efforts. What do you think, mate? Is that, is that a decent ethical investing choice? I, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, the 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 question here, the flip side would be that if these people are working pro bono, mm-hmm. are they actually doing? You, you know, like financial incentive is removed here, right? <laughs> so are they going to just give you the rubbish stocks, <laughs> or are they actually giving you the good man. stock? So <laughs> because we mentioned the, the name of the fund, I will I will say outright. Well, I mean, I'm not saying anything about that fund. No, but way. I will say that the people who are running it are are reputable and well known managers who have long track records and frankly don't need the cash. So the fact they're bothering to do this in the first place, uh, I think we can assume they're, they're doing it the right way. But as you say, I think that's a really you know we talked about behavioural investing a couple of times yeah. already. Think about who's 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 making the decisions and what their what their motivations are is a worthwhile question. Yeah, like in the, in the exception to the rule, yeah. like say so the Vanguard model, where you know the Vanguard basically decided you know it's a, it's, mm. it's it's not a for it's a not for profit organisation, yep. right? And therefore they can drive the fees down. I mean these are exceptions to the rule, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and this could be an exception rule, but that can that scale? I don't know. Yeah, I think. Look, I, I was. I think, Jonathan, I kind of agree with you. I think 
Look, if you're going to pay, instead of paying a fund manager, you might as well pay a charity, right? If I'm going to, if I'm going to pay, if I'm going to pay one percent of my, my assets to somebody, um, it might as well go to someone who's doing some good rather than a fund manager who, frankly, already has three BMWs, a boat, and a, and a you know penthouse apartment. So they probably don't need the cash. And if you're going to pay a fund manager, I think it's a really smart way to do it. The only thing I would say, a bit like ethical investing, though, is you're probably better off maximizing your returns, however they come, and then doing some good with that money if if you're so inclined. So if you you know. I mean, these guys might, by the way, street the market and be well worth investing in for their own sake. But let's say you can get 10% with these guys or 12% with somebody else. The net result, the net increase of the 2% compounded is going to generate a heap more money for the charity of your choice, either either every year or over the very long term. So you kind of, ethical investors, I think as a general rule, you, are much, much, you either should be investing in impact ideas, literally funding things that wouldn't otherwise get funded, like wind farms, if that's your thing, or microfinance in, in developing world, if that's your thing, or in buying up plots of trees, if that's your thing, whatever your kind of ethical preference or concern is, um, you know, investing in companies that only have uh, sustainable working conditions, for example, another way to do it. So if you want to have what they call impact investing, actually adding money to the company, not just buying shares from somebody else, that's a really smart ethical way to invest. If you want to otherwise, though, invest, generally speaking, and maximize your returns, you better do that and then donate some of the proceeds. That's far, far more effective than just thinking you're ethically investing by doing it some other way. Look, I don't think... If you're going to invest in a fund manager and future generation is, is delivering really good returns, then yep, absolutely donate the fee to charity rather than a fund manager. Great way to do it. Um, so yes, I would go with that if you if you feel so inclined. Otherwise, just try and maximize your investment returns and then take some of those proceeds, some of the extra gains, and give some of those to charity if that's why you um, want to approach your investing in your philanthropy. Be Buffett. Be Buffett. Well, he's giving 99% of his money. Yeah. To, uh, like A lot of it is going to Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Correct. Right? They're so. doing so. They're, Massive tangent. Have you watched the Netflix documentary? I've actually watched two um, episodes. I've watched them all. Inside Bill's Brain is the episode. Yeah, it's pretty nice, eh? Fascinating. Fascinating. So just, just really cool. It's kind of not too wonky, but it also goes like everywhere. They, they've talked about nuclear power. They've talked about sanitation. They've talked about his childhood, his marriage. Um, just a fascinating. I just love the poop story. <laughs> I'm not giving too much away, but yeah, watch it just for the poop story. When you, when you say not giving too much awesome. away, you're also kind of leaving us on a bit of a downer. No, it's not a downer. So have you have you seen the emojis these days are about poops, and and this is a fascinating story about poops, and I, lo- I love it. And actually, everybody in my house says I talk too much about poops. This, so, is, this is this is a tangent on a tangent, which is pretty impressive for us. We've gone from from ethical investing to poop stories. Yeah, poop stories, but 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 I think I think, you know watch it. It, it, it is. Um, yeah. It is really, really well done. And also, some, show. some docos can be boring. Um, even Netflix docos can sometimes be boring. There's some great ones as well. Inside Bill's Brain, really, really cool one. Yeah. Um, they are doing some wonderful things for, for society. Uh, Buffett is giving away, I want to say 99% of his wealth, mostly to Bill and Melinda's foundation, some of his family foundations as well. Um, uh, yeah. And look, that, that's 99% of a very, very, very large amount of money. Um, Buffett could have otherwise just invested in you know, wind farms and I don't know. What else is ethical these days? Well, like, you know, I think that this is, again, as I said, I think the, the the stuff that Bill and Melinda Gates are doing, like, you know, eradicating things like polio, for oh, example, so this cool. is such a big, 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 big deal. So cool. Um, yeah. Plus poop. I love, <laughs> I, I just, I, I just think that that poop part is really awesome. So watch it. It's what I'll say. That is the strongest sign that we've recorded way too long today, Doc. So with that, I kind of, I feel like I, I wish I had another question to ask so we could kind of end on a different note, but. That's a pretty good note to end. Let's just. I've got, I've got nothing. Yeah. Well. <laughs> That's it then. <laughs> Before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. Normally, I'd ask you to leave us a rating or a review, but after Doc's finished, maybe not this week. Leave us a review next week after we talk about something 
a little more uplifting and, and kind of investment worthy. Um, and again, if you want to tell your friends, get them to listen to the first three quarters of the podcast. Uh, maybe, you know, cut it at the 40 minute mark. Probably best. <laughs> and don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with a more usual dose of foolish insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.